We're all human beings who bleed the same blood and shed the same tears. Every time a person suffers from Detroit to Gaza, that's our brother. That's our sister. That's our family. Yes, the problems of the world are daunting. And yes, suffering is inescapable, but there's so much breathtaking beauty on the planet that needs to be honored too. But to truly appreciate the good, we first must free ourselves from the prisons of our own minds and the dogma society ingrains in us. Our empathy needs to extend toward every corner of the earth, to every living thing. Welcome to the Out of Limits Infinite Truth Radio Show, OutOfLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. The person you just heard a second ago is our featured guest. And I'm so excited and honored to have her with us. When I first discovered her work years ago, gut reaction was that this is somebody who's probably going to change our world. She's very strong, courageous, with a lot of celestial energy, and she's driven. And so I love the fact that she's so passionate about her mission in life, and it's wonderful. I think we can learn a lot from her. I do want to give you a heads up that this particular program will not focus on metaphysical studies, nothing to do with past lives, uh, energy healing, anything like that. It is going to talk about politics. There, is, there are going to be some political perspectives that are shared on here. So I do want to give you a heads up about that. And just to clarify, the Outer Limits of Truth Radio Show does not take any political positions. We don't support any political parties. I will say that we're very passionate about freedom, very passionate about being good to other people. So that is the trajectory the show is on. And we honor all other perceptions and perspectives of all of our guests, no matter what. We honor them, and we are so honored to have our featured guest. Let us begin tonight's program. Our featured guest today on the Adelaide Seven Truth Radio Show is another individual that we've been pursuing for a number of years. Last week, we had Miss Judith Regan on. That was 27 years in pursuit. And this week, <laughs> our featured guest has been a six-year pursuit. And I want to tell you, there's something really amazing about her because our uh, dearly beloved friend, Mr. Stuart Wild, metaphysical visionary, metaphysical teacher, always spoke very highly of this individual. He said that she was a warrior, and he said that she was bringing a lot of love and peace into this world, and he spoke so highly of her. And unfortunately, he uh, he left our world in 2013 and never had a chance to talk with her, so I feel this interview's got a lot of extra significance. Our featured guest, her name is Miss Abby Martin. She's the host of Empire Files. I would call her a groundbreaking, passionate journalist of good friend of freedom. She's also BFFs with the U.S. government, the Empire. She, they get along really good. They do coffee together a lot. <laughs> no, not really. Um, and you can tell us a little more about her by going to her website at abbymartin.org. Miss Martin, great honor to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited. Thank you. So I've been watching you since the days when you're on RT, breaking the set. You seem to have this drive and passion. You're always pursuing truth and justice. Where does this drive come in? What, what is the origin of this drive? You know, it's just one of those things that you, something grabs you and you just know that this is something that you have to fight for your whole life, no matter what happens. And um, it all started, I, I think the pinnacle moment for me was when the Iraq war was being sold to us by the media. Um, and, you know, I was never really political growing up, but for some reason going into college and getting this crash course and, and what capitalism and imperialism has done to the rest of the world, especially reading Chalmers Johnson and seeing the effects of militarism um, everywhere from Okinawa to the Philippines. And it was at the same time that the Bush administration was suddenly shifting from Afghanistan to Iraq. And I was just so confused and perturbed of why the media could actually be complicit in this 
shifting of the narrative and propagandizing us. And so I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then it just takes a little bit longer to realize that it's not just the Republicans, it's not just the Democrats, it's actually the entire establishment that works together. The media is actually an arm and a weapon of the empire to actually sell us these policies. Um, it's subsidized by defense contractors and oil companies and banks. So, of course, you know, it all works together to basically maintain empire and U.S. hegemony around the world. And ever since that happened, it, it took me a while to really realize that media was the platform that I really needed to, to tell these truths because, of course, without an informed citizenry, we are totally screwed. Do you think that we've become more screwed in the coming years because we seem to be perpetually distracted by cell phones? We seem to be perpetually distracted by whatever crisis is being pervaded in the uh, media at any point in time. Do you think that we, are, we have lost our ability to think critically or we're rapidly losing it? It is very – it's getting very difficult. I feel like uh, there's kind of this bizarre tendency to um, jump into tribalistic camps these days, uh, especially with the onset you know, of Trump winning. You have the entire liberal elite just still in a tizzy. We're still a year and a half later. They're still blaming Russia and leftists for the fact that Hillary Clinton was one of the worst candidates to ever be put forward by the establishment, and she lost to a reality TV. TV show host. I mean, it's 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 devastating for them, and they still can't wrap their minds around it, so they have to deflect everything. So their base is still um, grasping at straws, of course, blaming everything except trying to take an intro, you know, a perspective of, of how we got here. And then the Republicans are, are also in a state of mass hallucination where basically everything is fake news, everything that their anointed leader um, says is fake is um, everything's fake that basically doesn't worship Trump. So it's gotten very disturbing, especially seeing sites like Infowars, um, different alternative media back 10 years ago that was basically calling out two sides of the same coin, right? Those two-party dictatorships are now just embracing and kind of a jackboot style uh, a sitting president of the empire. So I've seen things go a very dark path. However, to be optimistic, I do think that there is a massive amount of people waking up. You saw people who really were attracted to the idea of what Bernie Sanders was saying, I mean, calling out the billionaires, calling out the oligarchs. Um, and I think that, you know, we have the ability, we have all the information at our fingertips, and even though the system is working 24-7 to propagandize us and, and make us complacent, I think people are waking up and people are smarter than that. And, and I think you just see it with voter turnout and the fact that people are completely marginalized and disenfranchised, even though that's a bad thing in so-called the democracy that we live in, it's actually a good thing because it shows you that people are not tuned into whatever system they're trying to sell us. And so there's a huge opening with every crisis there is an opening for massive, massive sea change, whether it be Palestine or what's going on in this country. And I really feel like it's the, it's the time we, we have it, and, and it's just a matter of working in the streets and, and, and everywhere you can, really, to, to galvanize people and really wake people up. Well, hypothetically speaking, you galvanize an entire population. You galvanize the world, and everyone's, okay, we're aware, we're all for freedom. And I know that apparently that the elites – on a very tiny percentage of the world's population, yet they seem to own most of the world's resources, seem to have all the power. I mean, theoretically speaking, what can people do? If you are aware, but you don't have the power, whether you don't, and you don't have the resources, how do you stand a chance against these elites that have been planning and preparing and be growing even more, I'll call the word more evil throughout the number of years? How do you stand a chance against that, even if you have a fully awakened society? 
Well, I think that there, there's a, a couple layers here. The first thing is, is realizing that immigrants and leftists are not the enemy. So, like I said before, 10 years ago, it seemed like people were united more around this kind of um, joining together, coalescing to actually fight the establishment, fight the, the neocon apparatus that was selling all these endless wars. Now it seems like a lot of Trump's base that used to be on, on board have now just punched down and are blaming the left for all the problems that we see in society. So first, it's, it's realizing who your enemy really is, right? <laughs> Multinational corporations and, the, and the, the, the war criminals running our entire political establishment and the war machine. So first, it's, it's having that kind of astute analysis about how, the critical lens about how to view society and view the entire world through the lens of the U.S. empire, the colonized, the colonizers, nothing happens in a vacuum, understanding how we got here, relearning history so we can kind of prevent these further atrocities. Once you have a grasp on that and you can call yourself media literate and understand how to analyze the information that's coming at you at such a rapid pace, then we can start to organize on the ground. Look, I think it's really important to realize, look, the teacher's strike that just happened in West Virginia shut down everything. I mean, we do have the power. We are the ones who are at the bottom rungs of these multinational corporations. We are the ones who there's a big reason why they want to keep us enslaved, because if we wake up and we're in the streets and we're suddenly boycotting and shutting down production and shutting down uh, you know, the status quo, then there's going to be a really, really big problem for them. Um, like you said, I mean, they are few, we are many, and they know ultimately the pitchforks are going to come for the plutocrats. That's why they're building their own Elysiums, and they're, they're doing God knows what to try to prepare for that day of reckoning that they absolutely know is coming, because that's the system. That's the inevitability of the system that they've built. Are you talking about the um, financial collapse? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, the financial collapse is coming. We're, we're in a bubble right now. I, I mean, it could be student debt that we see next, and, you know, I mean, they've already siphoned 95% of the recovery from the 2008 collapse, and they're going to do it again. And we cannot let them do it again. It's a matter of not letting the Democrats let you, fold you into their base and just churn out another voting machine for another Democratic puppet. We need to wake up to this two-party duopoly. Okay. I mean, I'm going to tell you a quick story about my, my background. I used to be very politically active, and I was very pro, you know, I guess, military and at one point. I mean, anything that had to do with war. And then I was also a person involved in uh, religion. You know what happened was at one point I walked away from everything. And I found that after I walked away and I didn't affiliate with any type of political parties, I all of a sudden had all these things in common with people that I hadn't had before. Matter of fact, I would say that the friends that I had probably doubled by because I no longer felt threatened at all and I was just accepting of everyone else. And I'm wondering, in the course of your pursuit of the truth, in the course of your pursuit of justice, in the course of your pursuit of freedom, have you found that you're having more in common with, with people that you never thought you had before? Or do you find that there's, there's got to be a point where people, no matter how hard they are going after truth, at some point in time, they're going to be kind of labeled or capped by their political beliefs or what political party they're affiliated with? That's a really good point, and I think that we're – we're too inundated with that notion now of, of the tribalism and the camps and the labels. And even though I, I, you know, I'm a vehement leftist, I still just know that these labels really are, are detriment. Because like you said, if you sit down with an average person in a room, you're going to agree on basic fundamental things um, of what you want to see. I, I think a lot of people don't want to necessarily be bombing eight countries and dropping a bomb every 21 minutes. I think that a lot of people can agree on, on things that they want um, the majority of the world to have peace, freedom, dignity, and, and humanity, basic humanity. So 
It's just that we're tricked. We've been tricked. We've been, there's psyops happening on a daily basis to us, and it has been for the last 150 years. I mean, we know this. So I think it's just a matter of reaching out one by one, um, understanding what can relate you on a basic human level. But, but, I mean, to answer your question, it actually has been harder because of these divisions under Trump, this, this really sectarian kind of feeling where it feels like a weight. They are trying to wade through and, and really relate to people in a different way, um, and it just seems very reactionary and very toxic in terms of the dialogue. Um, and I'm talking about both sides of the political aisle. So I'm kind of like you. I've removed myself from, from those camps, and I'm kind of looking at the bigger picture. But it's a little bit harder, I think, to pull people out of that reptile brain that's been activated on, on both fronts. I mean, the liberals and, and the Republicans who are now this reptile brain, whether they hate Trump so much that they actually can't see the good, like the Korea summit, or, or the other side who just, who just blames everything on immigrants and leftists. So, again, it's, it's taking people out of that and realizing that we all have basic humanity and we all can agree on the same things. But it's, it's tough. The country's so vast and we're so divided. And one of the things that I want to do this summer is really just take a road trip and go out of my bubble in the city and really just talk to people everywhere I go, sit down with them and try to gain an understanding of where we're at and how we can build these bridges. Abby, I have a theory about why the chaos continues. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I find that people tend to do things over and over again because they're getting they, they get their the pain and reward system in their brain. And I think mm-hmm. anger at some point in time releases a chemical within the brain that kind of makes you addicted. And I wonder if people are more or less addicted to the anger, addicted to the chaos because they're getting some kind of weird, twisted reward system within their brain. I always wonder if that's part of the systematic design to keep us controlled, to keep us, you know, against each other. I'm just wondering from your perspective, do you find that even if a person or groups of people would want to be peaceful, that theoretically speaking, they would be more likely to slide back into anger because it's what they've come to know. I mean, we're in a generation right now where we've had an entire generation of people kids that have all they've known is war since 2001. I can't mm-hmm. believe we've mm-hmm. had war all these years. How would they know a world without it? I think that that's really interesting. Um, it, I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily that we're psychologically hardwired from birth. I would say that more that we're born with a tabula rasa and we're, you know, society and our conditions shape that inclination. Um, obviously, in, in, in a land where we're all empire babies, we have um, very unique phenomenons that are very disturbing like the mass shooting epidemic, like the fact that America actually has um, half of all child pornography is produced here, like the fact that suicide rates are going up here where they're going down in literally every other country in the world. So, yeah, when we have this vicious cycle of violence, when we perpetrate you know, extrajudicial assassinations and we normalize this behavior, of course it's going to have some sort of top-down effect on humanity. But I do think that we can break out of it because I do think that we're not – you know, humans are not, um, this is not the system that's the best for us. This is not what, what we should be in. We should not be in these cycles where we, we're, you know, we're conditioned and, and to actually wanting violence and chaos and everything like that. I think that we can break out of that and, and really formulate something better. But I think that there's this pressure valve that's released, of course, every four years. And that's why you see this, just this two-party dictatorship forced down our throats, which is extremely unique also. No other developed country has two parties that they say you need to choose from at a barrel of a gun. And that's the pressure valve that's released every four years. You vote for Republican 
and then you vote for a Democrat, and then you vote for a Republican, and you vote for a Democrat. And it's just this endless cycle, like you said. I mean, what did Einstein say? You you do the same thing and expect different results. That's the definition of insanity. I mean, that's where we're we are today. Well, I always find that I know some people are really passionate about voting, and they get behind certain political candidates. I I feel like you know if you that, that's all you're going to do, if that's the only thing you think you have power. I mean, it's, I almost feel like it's such a waste because there's so much more you could be doing. You could be learning. You could be reading books. You could be talking to people. You, you could just by, just by being a kind-hearted person and walking around being nice to other people, I think you'll probably have a greater impact than even voting in some capacity. So I think there's so much more out there that people could be doing to raising awareness. And I want to ask you something, Abby. I've noticed that you've covered a lot of stories over the years. And some stories that you've covered maybe four or five years ago, people would say, oh, okay, well, you know, that's far out there, but now it's common knowledge. I was wondering if there are any stories you can think of, stories that you're working on, where five years ago it was considered completely insane, and now it's accepted as common knowledge. Now it's accepted as, okay, well, this is the truth that we all accept. Oh, my God. I mean, well, there's, it's interesting that you say that because there's some stories that will forever be taboo, right? <laughs> the Israeli aggression, well, it's becoming more normalized now, which is really, really great and optimistic. Um, but, but back then, it was a third rail issue that I was slandered as an anti-Semite for simply talking about war crimes five years ago. 9-11 is also something that's completely um, off limits, <laughs> going to the radio show name. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but... but but again, there's this twofold effect where, where five, ten years ago, we were talking about the police state. We were talking about the surveillance state looking at, at Oakland and the offset of Occupy Wall Street. And now those are kind of normalized terms where you see them repeated in mainstream publications because of Snowden, because of work of people who have exposed the, the vastness of this apparatus and really the criminality of it when, you know, black teens are being gunned down in the street on a daily basis in this country. So, yeah, I think terms like that, that, that you were called a conspiracy theorist for even entertaining those words and phrases and talking about these things, are now completely commonplace. And it's changed so quickly. It's actually given me a lot of hope, a lot of hope that people are able to grasp grasp this and understand. But again, does that condition us to actually think that this is now normal, where now we have something like ICE, and DHS, which was, they're both new agencies. They've only been in existence for about 15 years, and somehow we've just accepted that these giant bureaucratic, um, you know, systems that are just completely criminal Gestapo forces, they should be abolished. 100% they should be abolished. But for some reason, that's not the, the forefront of the discussion when it comes to this. I mean, they were just cash injected after 9-11 um, with this, this fire sale from the military-industrial complex. So we need to kind of reclaim these narratives, even though they're more mainstream, and remind people of the radical roots of, of how we generated this, this discussion in the first place and really demand the measures to abolish these agencies. And, I mean, I advocate to overhaul the whole system because I don't think that you can really f reform it from within. We've gone too far. I agree. And one of the things I've noticed is... Well, if you're looking at our current monetary system, it seems that you know we're, it's it's kind of a, a fantasy-based system that you know infinite debt can't continue forever. Eventually, I guess it's going to collapse. But it's a system that most people have known for a longer period of time. And I'm wondering if, based on what you know about humanity, what you studied about humanity, if what we are going through right now is part of a cycle, or is part of a kind of a mutant devolution in our consciousness, where we're going down a road of hardcore tyranny that we're not going to come back to, where the idea of personal freedom and privacy is something in the past, 
because I looked at other points in times in history, and I see that there are things where empires rise, empires fall, people you know rise, people fall. But I feel like it's going in a very weird direction right now. I'm wondering if, if we're kind of going out of our current trajectory of normal evolution and normal cycles for humanity, psychologically speaking. I was wondering what your thoughts were. Yeah, I mean, I heard someone say that history repeats itself, but every time the stakes get higher. And I think that when you look at the past and you look at the rise and fall of empires and you can study, you know, everything from the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, what we're seeing today is very unique and and also very troubling because this is the first global empire that we've had. And this is a global empire that has at least 700 military bases. We don't even know how many with the lily pad bases. The Pentagon can't even tell you. Um, we have military personnel in almost every country in the world. We've, we've, you know, we're, we're constantly still carrying out color revolutions in every country. When the U.S. and, and we are in the beginning of the death throes now, the empire. I mean, I think Donald Trump has really ripped off that mask of what the empire really represents to the rest of the world and, you know, finally exposing itself to Americans because we've been conditioned, again, to think that we're the best country in the world and that we do nothing but good. So at this point in time, what what scares the hell out of me is what are we going to do to lash out when it's obvious that we are done? Um, you know, we're not just going to pack up and leave shop and, and quietly <laughs> and move out of these countries and just go timidly back to the U.S. Um, it's going to be bloody. And it's going to be really, really bad. You think countries are going to rebel um, against the, 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 the U.S. is probably going to face a, a lot of um, a lot of countries are probably not going to be happy with the U.S. and they're going to try to settle some scores. Yeah, there's going to be scores settled. But I mean, to answer your, the other part of your question about is this the inevitability? I think that capitalism is expansionist, and and we've seen people warn against the inevitability of where capitalism is going to go. This predatory criminal. Um, system that's been pervasive across the world that, that needs to gobble up other countries and other resources. And that's exactly what we're seeing. That's why the empire has grown to the, to the point that it is today. Uh, it can't, we can't go back from here unless we completely overhaul, um, first end the empire and then we can deal with, with the rest of, you know, what the empire has done, um, in its wake. But right now that's why I focus wholeheartedly on we need a massive campaign to undermine this criminal system that's killing millions of people around the world. Right. Well, coming back to something you said about um, you know, Trump being the face of the empire, I, I think that some of the policies that he has right now, I know he's probably more abrasive and more provocative, but I've seen the same policies being carried out by the last five or six presidents, going back to Woodrow Wilson, as far as the, the militarism and the suppression of the civil rights and the, the reckless monetary policy. And as far as you know, the empire, I was... Think of that quote. You know, they, there's a quote, and you really never say this, but they said the kingdom of God is within. And I'm wondering if the kingdom of the empire is within the individual, because there are certain people in the country or throughout the world that will necessarily will have imperialism or tyranny within their hearts. And I was wondering, it doesn't matter if there's physical structures or not. If people have tyranny and evil within their hearts, I think the manifestation outward is going to be a direct reflection of that. And I'm wondering if you see hope of people finding love peace, compassion, if we can get that going with inside people's hearts, if we can actually have a world, you know, that you, you seem to be want, longing for, like a world of peace without this darkness, without this apparatus. I was wondering, do you think that people, are we getting any closer to that? 
I mean, every day I wonder why don't people see children dying in Yemen in this Holocaust, where three times the amount of people who died in the Holocaust could die of starvation at the end of the year. I, I wake up every morning thinking, why? Why don't people care? Why don't people see these people as their own brothers and sisters, their own daughters and sons? I mean, to me, it seems like a no-brainer. I mean, as an internationalist, I see everyone in the world as, as an equal and I want to, you know, commit and invest in, in the ability for them to flourish as a people. And so I, I think it's the fear. It all stems on fear. That's that's how these systems are driven and maintained, is underpinning that, that deep-seated fear of what you don't know, fear of the other, fear of the strange. And so it all starts with talking to people, building the bridges, communication, understanding, having empathy. Empathy is the most important human emotion that we can garner and try to harness as a human being. Understanding and having decency and empathy for other human beings. And especially as an American citizen, it's our duty. It is our absolute duty to understand what this country is doing to the rest of the world, to, to put them under their thumb and to put this boot on the neck of tens of millions of people, either with economic subjugation or militarism. Um, it's, I mean, every day, this is what my plea, and this is what I fight 24-7 uh, to try to do and spread. And I can only hope that at a certain time, people will choose love over fear. Abby, where do you see your place in the universe? Do you, are you, meta, do you religious, spiritual, atheist? Do you have any kind of long-held belief patterns that what equate to your existence beyond being that of a human being? I, I definitely am a spiritual person. I, there's things that I've seen that I, you know, I, I feel like science can't explain yet. Um, I am also a science-based person, but, you know, I, I consider myself an agnostic. I don't, I, I don't know and I don't claim to know, but um, luckily I never was, was raised with a really rigid religious dogma, and I think that that helped me cultivate a kind of critical eye and lens with how I view the world. Um, but, but I absolutely am a spiritual person, and I, and I love to portray that, that spirituality in my artwork and with nature. I just, I just have a full embracing adoration of nature and the world around me, and I feel like everyone, you know, as therapy should really put themselves out into nature, go for a hike, go to the beach, and just sit there with your thoughts and, and appreciation for what the world has given us. Um, and it's just so sad how far removed we are from both art, music, the, these creative energies that can really harness that spiritual force that you understand how one you are with the world. And, you know, it's beyond just internationalism with human beings. It's, it's, it's having that innate humanity and, and ability to understand that you are one with the world and you are one with every tree and every cloud. I mean, it's as cheesy as it may seem. I mean, I don't this, think it's is, this is the way that I do it. It's, it's, funny, you <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the artwork because um, Stuart, well, I'll send a link to him, but he actually brought up your artwork. He thought it was very, he thought that whatever oh, you, were, wow. yeah, you were presenting was, was powerful. So what is the, what do you feel when, you, when you're doing your artwork and how is the expression of your artwork different compared to your uh, journalism? Well, the journalism tends to focus on, you know, really negative uh, things. You know, obviously the world is a very dark place right now. It's full of chaos, violence, and, and negativity. So the, the, art, the politics tends to just kind of be venting and trying to make some sense about this kind of world that we're living in, whereas the artwork has a more deeper kind of psychic um, 
output that, that I don't even know is happening. It's just coming straight from my soul where I can just completely tune in into kind of this psychic trance and just produce something that's completely psychedelic and, and abstract and, and can harness that, that beauty and appreciation that I have for nature that I was telling you about before. And, and it's a really interesting thing how your mind can shut down and, and produce those, those things that are the positive, beautiful parts of the world and your mind that you're maybe suppressing when you're, when you're doing this negative, depressing work on a daily basis. That's why it's so crucial to supplement that with some sort of creative energy because I would go nuts if I didn't have that. One of the things you talked about in the beginning of the show is that there's some people in alternative media that seem to be you know, very independent before. Now they seem to be co-opted. Is there any particular individuals who you think that – Theoretically speaking, may be putting out the wrong message or may actually be helping people um, become more divided than united. And if so, why? I mean, you don't have to name names, but generally speaking, you know, are there any handsome people that are doing things that are kind of deconstructive or not helpful to the freedom movement? I mean, unfortunately, you know, after Trump got elected, I thought, man, this is going to be a really tough era because I don't know how I'm going to fit into this sea of anti-Trumpism and I felt like I was just going to be another voice um, drowned out. And, you know, here we are a year and a half in, and I feel like it's been the opposite. It's been that everyone's kind of missed the boat. Um, everyone's adhered to these mass hallucinations, and, and it's all of corporate media is missing the boat. They're focusing on the wrong things with Trump. Like you said, we're missing the context of how this is not an aberration of the U.S. empire's policy. This is not an aberration of how this country has acted um, with impunity and, account and unaccountability around the rest of the world and to its own citizens, its most marginalized citizens. So this is – that I'm not seeing anywhere. I'm not seeing the analysis that's needed in terms of how the empire functions and how Trump is exacerbating that both, you know, with, with whether it be civil rights crackdowns or militarism, et cetera. So that I feel like is, is much lacking um, all across the corporate media. And then when you have alternative media – um, it's it's bizarre how we've kind of accepted that there's these dueling narratives where it's like, oh, we have alternative media and it's like left media and then right media. No, there's people's media that is funded by grassroots structures and then there's a billionaire-funded oil coke Mercer network that funds everything from Breitbart to Infowars. And that's not, that's not alternative media. That's literally billionaires putting a top-down <laughs> narrative to, again, um, help divide us and help, you know, concoct these narratives that basically make you scapegoat marginalized and oppressed communities in the U.S. for our problems. So I think it's about understanding that the truest media that you're going to get, the, the best information is from the networks and outlets that are literally thriving and surviving on donations and grassroots structures because that everything else has a very clear agenda here. And you can look at state media like RT and, and Telesur, which I sell my show to now, Telesur, those are kind of, uh, again, anomalies in this system of media hegemony that have been created because of the constant threats to overthrow their countries from the empire. And so they were forced to create these systems to try to contradict this constant propaganda. Um, and that, so, yeah, I mean, but we know what the establishment's doing to them. They're trying full force to shut them down. With Telesur, you have the sanctions on Venezuela that's undercutting the ability to, to just function as a network. We haven't been paid in a long time, and you know, I'm wondering what, what's going to happen with Telesur. And as far as RT, they've already been forced to register as a foreign agent. It's a complete. It's painted as a joke now. No one will go on anymore because of this whole mantra that Russia is why we have Trump, when really 
this is why we have Trump. America is why we have Trump. Look around. Mm. This is the country that we live in. I don't even know if it would be him. If not him, I would imagine you would have someone else out there that would be doing the same policies. I mean, it seems like... Exactly. So if you could think of two people that have influenced you the most, who've gotten the most out of you, who've helped you to become a better person, who would those individuals be? And is there one person who is the at the exact opposite consciousness, political-wise, that also had a substantial impact on your development? I think that my whole mantra also this year is no heroes 2018 because I feel like everyone that I've put a lot of my um, support and weight behind, you know, we're all we're all fallible. Like we're all just humans who have just egregious errors um, and flaws. And so I think it's I think it's almost bad to, to hit your wagon and, and 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 kind of look at someone as a hero. But I mean, obviously, Noam Chomsky's literature, understanding the media apparatus, understanding how propaganda works, was extremely instrumental in my development of understanding media literacy. And then I would just say my partner, Mike Preisner, who helped me with that ideological journey of understanding beyond just one party, beyond just the government, beyond just everything, and kind of having a grasp on how this all fits together. And he's he's an incredible partner. We do the show together, and, and he's really helped me and trained me on how to be a better person and to understand these things a little bit more complexly. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I think in this era that we're living in, a lot of people have fallen from grace because that reptile, that reptile brain has been activated. I mean, I feel like I'm getting crazier and crazier because I feel so sane compared to everyone else around Yeah, it's me. tough. I, I, I resonate with that. I mean, I, I work around the world, and I understand. I, well, I don't understand how people can harm human beings, and I'm also really passionate about animals. So I can't fathom how people could be comfortable with having animals get slaughtered on a regular basis. I, I feel like you know, a total alien in this world. So. Totally, man. I I just became a vegetarian two years ago. Haven't looked back. Um, couldn't agree more. Once you go that route, you realize that. I mean, how could you have a dog but you eat pigs? I mean, it's just. It's just nuts, the, the mass suffering of, of animals and also just the, the cognitive dissonance of how, you know, what animal agriculture is doing to the environment. It's just kind of this, like, unspoken thing that climate change is really being driven by meat production. And just the subsidies of meat. I mean, it's just outrageous that, like, soy is more expensive than meat. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's just nuts. Oh, it's ridiculous. I, I have no idea. And, uh, Abby, the final question we have for you is... What do you want? What do you think your legacy is going to be? What What has separated you from all other reporters that are out there? I think that I think that um, you know in this system, and I heard Rosa Clemente say this one time. She was the VP candidate running with Cynthia McKinney in 2008, and I heard her say this, and it stuck with me. She said, "The father of African American studies was never." popular. He was demonized and marginalized in his community and in the world. And he was, uh, you know, he was considered a heretic. His face was never on the front page of a magazine. And he was never given the notoriety that he deserved. Of course, later after he died, he was, and we know what happened with people like MLK, not that I'm comparing myself to him, but he was the most hated man in America when he died as well. And I think that if you are rewarded in the system that you are trying to overthrow, you are doing something wrong. And I think that the fact that I have been so criticized, marginalized, and harassed and attacked by the punditry elitism um, that is the most toxic force driving 
everything in our, you know, of course, obviously, other than the empire and the military industrial complex, but the, the, the jesters and, and the propagandists and the stenographers who basically just reprint and help maintain this, that's that's actually a compliment. That's something that I can look back at and say, you know what, that's that's a good thing that they attacked me. That means I'm doing something right. And I think that, you know, whatever my legacy is after I die, um, let it be. But I think history will, will speak, you know, I think history... It depends on what line you want to stand on. Do you want to stand on the right side of history or the wrong one? And I think that history will look back at my work and um, with with a nod, you know, and, and I think that people will hopefully these videos that I'm doing with Empire Files will, will be useful for decades to come. Um, they're, they're meant to be instructional materials for people to use for generations. And um, all I can do is fight every day and never do it for notoriety and never do it for publicity or never do it for fame. Um, I do it because it's what's right, and I do it because I, I can hope that I can inspire others. And you never, just like you said, just being nice to people, just having basic empathy and, and humanity, and that that can spark movements. And you just can't ever stop. You can't ever stop, no matter what we're up against, because what is this life about? It's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about it's about the future. It's about our the future generations. And we have to just kind of take our ego out of it and know that this is, you know, we're just a cog in, in something much bigger than us. And how are you going to look back, you know? How are you going to look back? How do you want history to look back at your legacy and your life? Abby Martin, thank you so much for being with us today. It was worth all six years waiting to have you come <laughs> I love your. I love that your last line about the fact that you know, it's an honor to not be accepted by most people. <laughs> That's really great. You can learn more about Abby by going to her website at abbymartin.org. She's also a host of Empire Files. We're going to post links to both of those. You can also find her on Twitter at Abby Martin. Ms. Martin, it's a great, great honor to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. It was an incredible conversation. Uh, keep supporting uh, independent media. You guys support your show, and, and thanks so much. It won't be another six years before we talk again. I promise you that. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our incredible guest, Miss Abby Martin. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Caza, and Miss Constance Tellus. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening.